0: Sorry, just had to turn off the Welsh part of my brain and turn on the English part. We're going to be uh, finishing off the three romances of the Mabinogion today. For the last two hundred years, Celtic scholars and authors have been very interested in the Grail procession scene. When I first um, approached this subject a couple of weeks back, I did make the the terrible, terrible claim that I actually found the whole Grail mythology a little bit boring. I think just because it's been done so much and also because I feel like it actually obscures much of the actual mythology that's contained in this episode. Not that uh, the Holy Grail and the Fisher King... Uh, and uh, this notion of asking the right question at the right time. Not that none of that is interesting with regards to uh, European mythology, but of course I'm interested in Celtic myth. And the, the Celtic mythological roots of the story of Peredir for me are a lot more interesting than the later Christian evolution of this mythology. And it's not so much that it just gets in the way of us seeing the older mythological lineage contained in the story. It also kind of um, exhausts people's attention when considering the story, because Mm -hmm. if you're interested in looking at mythology in general, then the Holy Grail is one of the most obvious symbols you could research, uh, and loads and loads of material has been written on it. Too much, if you ask me. Um, which means that people have very little time to actually consider the other aspect of the story, uh, which is the the Celtic lineage, if you like, in the mythology. But of course, you know, at different times, at different stages in the evolution of research on the Arthurian uh, story cycles, different researchers have come up with different ideas uh, and have made some very nice comparisons with uh, medieval Celtic literature. Um, and I'm going to begin with uh, one of these pieces of research, because even though it was published 110 years ago now, it's one of the clearest pieces of work that makes this comparison between Peredir and non-continental or Irish and Welsh Celtic in the purer sense, uh, uh, literatures. Uh, And it's a really important paper for my mind, even though it's kind of, it's a little bit obscure these days and probably considered a little bit old-fashioned and probably not thorough enough. But I like to use these moments in the history of academia to sort of provide a springboard for me to go on to discuss things uh, I'm interested in. Um, And that's what I'm going to do this evening. Uh, I'm going to be using uh, a paper which was prepared by Arthur C.L. Brown uh, called The Bleeding Lance. And this paper discusses not the grail necessarily, although of course it's associated, uh, but the lance, the great big bleeding spear that's carried before the grail in the procession. Just to refresh your memories of what happens in the story of Peretir, Paredir, of course, has visited the castle of his second uncle. And suddenly, he could see two lads entering the hall. And from the hall, they proceeded to a chamber, carrying a spear of huge proportions, with three streams of blood running from its socket to the floor. When everyone saw the lads coming in this way, they all began weeping and wailing, so that it was not easy for anyone to endure it. Yet the man, who turns out to be Peredir's uncle, did not interrupt his conversation with Peredir. The man did not explain to Peredir what that was, nor did Peredir ask him about it. Now, of course, we discussed this lack of communication, this inability to ask the right question. We talked about this uh, a couple of weeks back. Um, it is a very important part of the story that's also, sadly, quite often obscured by uh, too much focus on the grail. What peredir witnesses there is essentially a great mythological symbol. I'm sure you can agree. It's larger than life. It's enchanted in some way. It's continuously bleeding. Yeah, This spear, this great lance, uh, is mentioned several other times in the text also. So, of course, towards the end of the story... Arthur's court is visited by a strange, hideously ugly, black-haired maiden who gets up in the court and says this to Peredir. Peredir, I will not greet you, for you are not worthy of it. Fate was blind when it gave you talent and fame. When you came to the court of the lame king, this is actually a, a mistake in the story here, but we won't get into that, And when you saw there the young man carrying the sharpened spear and from the tip of the spear a drop of blood streaming down to the young man's fist and you saw other wonders there too you did not question their meaning or their cause. And had you done so, the king would have recovered his health and held his kingdom in peace. So once again, uh, mentioning uh, Peredir's mistake in not asking the question, which is, of course, just Peredir following the bad advice of his first uncle. This passage also is one of the clearest examples of the storyteller lifting directly from Chetín de Troyes Percival. But in borrowing this episode in particular, this description in particular, the storyteller has, of course, created a mistake because in the story preceding this passage, Peredur visits two king's courts. Yeah, He has two uncles. His first uncle is lame and it is second uncle that has the grail procession with the spear. So obviously this is an important episode in the story and Peredir responds to this challenge... By the Black Maiden, by my faith I will not sleep in peace until I know the story and significance of the spear about which the Black Haired Maiden spoke. So, the spear itself in the Welsh story is actually more important than the grail. There is no actual grail in the Welsh story. There is a dish, mm. but the grail itself is absent in the Welsh peredir. Of course, uh, in Chrétien de Troyes' story and in the other ver- continental versions set in motion by Chrétien de Troyes' original Old French version, um, the grail is kind of the centrepiece. It's the great mythic symbol in all of those versions. But interestingly, in the Welsh story, it's not that apparent. It's the spear that's important. Yeah? It's the spear that's suggesting a greater mythology in the story. So it's the spear that I'm going to focus on. Just to take a quick look at Chretin de Troyes' description of this spear, because it does feature in uh, the Old French version. That lance dripping bright red blood, a spear it is written, which in time to come will destroy the entire kingdom uh, of Logres. Of course, that's um, borrowed from the Welsh Lloiger, which means England. And then the bleeding spear, its point, forever dripping a single, unstoppable drop of blood. Chétin de Chetindertwa here is essentially evoking uh, an enchanted spear that will somehow cause the downfall of the Kingdom of England, or the, the fictional Kingdom of England. In many ways, Cretin de Troyes is drawing on a Celtic tradition here. It's essentially what we're going to discuss. This idea of a spear which is not just enchanted, but is clearly supernatural and has the ability to disrupt the cosmic order, to utterly subvert a kingdom, yeah? to bring a, a civilization to a screeching halt. So an all-powerful, magical item. That's actually something that we find in Celtic myth uh, in both Irish and Welsh traditions. But we'll come to that in a moment. I just want to finish off with how C.L. Brown describes this spear. Indeed, from hints here and there in the poem, in Chetín de Troyes version of Percival, We may conjecture that this was the lance with which the Grail King received his wound, whereupon his land fell to ruin. So, C.L. Brown sees this spear as being fundamental to the Grail King mythology, also, that it's this very spear which brings about the wounding of the king and brings about uh, the wasteland. In that sense, we don't need to look very far in the Celtic tradition to find uh, comparable uh, spears or lances. There's uh, several enchanted spears in the Irish tradition. We need only think of the, the spear that Finn, the great Finn McCool, threw into a She-Mound, so threw into the other world, essentially, or the Irish other world, uh, and then it was thrown out again. Uh, with the uh, otherworld inhabitants, the Shi, the one of the two, or the essentially, saying, Venomous the spear, and venom the hand that threw it. If it is not cast out of the knoll, a moraine will seize the land, so the land will suffer. Yeah, There is this idea of a spear, once again, sort of disrupting uh, the cosmic order of things. There are plenty of other spears also, in the irish tradition that we could look at uh, the lynn of kelcher which was found in the battle of moitura a cauldron full of poison is needed to quench it when a deed of manslaying is expected so when the the owner of the spear uh, the lin of kelcher uh, is expecting to go into battle or to attack someone the spear itself gets excited yeah Unless this come to the lance, that is, unless the lance is then used to attack someone, it's as if it gets frustrated and angry and it it flames on its haft and will go through its bearer or the master of the palace wherein it is. So if it can't take blood, it will turn uh, on the person who's trying to use it or the master of the palace uh, where it is. If it be a blow that is to be given... So if it's used to sort of stab someone, thereby uh, it will kill a man at every blow. And if it be cast, if it's thrown like a spear, it will kill nine men at every cast and one of the nine will be a king or crown prince or chieftain. So once again, this is obviously an enchanted spear that brings about great destruction and is also prone to kill the nobility themselves, yeah, the people who are responsible for the kingdom. Now, this is uh, an excerpt from the destruction of the Derga's hostel, which was probably originally copied in the 11th century but could contain material uh, as old as the 8th or 9th. So one of the earliest pieces of Irish myth that we have on record this, of course, is a spear that we find in Ireland. And although there is a close connection between uh, Irish myth and Welsh myth, it's not clear how that Irish mythology gets into. Uh, the story of Peretir, because, of course, there is no explicitly enchanted spear elsewhere in Welsh myth. Mm. Peretir, in fact, is the only story in the Welsh tradition where we have mention of a supernatural, enchanted, great big mythological spear. But that's not to say that it's still not in keeping with the Welsh tradition as it is with the Irish. And that's because of the context of these stories, so the three romances are set in the world of Arthur, of King Arthur. Yeah? Uh, he is kind of uh, the great patriarch uh, who is ruling the kingdom and who is dominant at the time these uh, events take place. Everything is enacted against the backdrop of Arthur's court. We return to Arthur's court at the beginning or at the end of chapters. Arthur does at times play a certain role. Arthur is sort of there to iron out the creases and to heal the wounded knight and to bring him home and make sure he's celebrated. So Arthur is a central figure of uh, these stories And when we consider the type of figure that Arthur is, uh, it's not surprising to find these great big mythic weapons being part of the stories. Arthur, of course, is himself associated with special weapons. We need only think of Excalibur in the later European tradition that was given to Arthur by the Lady of the Lake, so uh, a magic sword, essentially. Excalibur, of course, is uh, the later rendering of Geoffrey of Monmouth's Caliburn, which is, of course, a name that's borrowed directly from the Welsh Caledvulch, And Caledvulch is not Arthur's only magical item. In Cilochendallwen, Arthur swears by his many great possessions, my ship, which is of course called uh, Predwen, and my mantle, which we hear is called Gwen in another story, and Kaledvulch, Excalibur, my sword, and Gamaniad, which essentially means attacking spear or spear used to attack in battle. And Horn Gomunyad my spear. So Arthur does possess a special spear, but this is really the only other spear in the Welsh tradition that I know of, that has its own name or is in any way marked out as being special. And Wineb, Gurthicher, my shield, and Karnwenan, my dagger, and Gwenhulvar, my wife. So Gwenhulvar there at the end of all of his other lovely possessions. So Arthur is closely associated with special powerful items. The body of law associated with Arthur clearly features special weaponry, mythological weaponry. Now, Arthur isn't only associated with special mythological weapons. He's also associated with uh, retrieving special treasures from the other world. Um, if we just think of uh, the poem *Prede Anoven*, that mysterious poem from the Book of Taliesin, which essentially describes Taliesin joining Arthur on a raid on Anoven, so they they essentially attack Anoven, and it's suggested that it's in an attempt to steal the cauldron of Pen Anoven of the chief of Anoven. Three full loads of Pradwen, so three full loads of Arthur's ship, we went into it. Save seven, none came back from Kair Siddhi. Apologies, that should be a capital C there on Kair. Kair Siddhi, of course, being another name for Anoven. And then Taliesin goes on to say My first utterance was spoken concerning the cauldron kindled by the breath of nine maidens, the cauldron of the head of Anun. What is its disposition with its dark trim and pearls? Arthur here and Taliesin are mythological characters that have a kind of a, a quasi-immortal aspect to them in that they are amongst the few who can travel to the other world and return. Yeah, they're special. They're not quite human they have this extra almost divine aspect to them and of course they're using this semi-divine ability of theirs to venture into an to try and steal something from there and what they're trying to steal of course is the magic cauldron now the cauldron is clearly Uh, one of the more potent symbols of Celtic myth. We find it in Ireland and in Wales. We also find it um, suggested in the Grail itself. Uh, Plenty of Celtic scholars have suggested a connection between the earlier Celtic cauldron and the later Christian Grail. Now, there may be something in that, that the Grail is a feature of... Uh, a story set in the world of Arthur, and that the cauldron is also a feature of the earlier Arthur, the Arthur of the Welsh. Yeah. Now, if we consider the poem *Pride Anoven for a moment, what Arthur is essentially doing, and Taliesin with him, is going on a quest to retrieve a special magical item. Now, this special magical item is otherworldly in its powers. And in another story, we see how the cauldron itself, much like the spear in Irish tradition and much like the lance in the story of Peretir or Percival, seems to upset the cosmic balance. It seems to uh, cause great strife to the mortals. Of course, I'm talking about the story of Branwen, where there is another magic cauldron mentioned. This cauldron, of course, originates in Ireland, is carried to Britain by Irish giants, and then Bendigaydran gives the cauldron back to the Irish. And then the Irish and the British go to war, and the Irish began to kindle a fire under this magic cauldron, the Cauldron of Rebirth. Then they threw the corpses of their dead warriors into the cauldron until it was full, and they would get up the next morning fighting as well as before, except that they could not talk. Now, of course, this war, which in many ways is fed by this cauldron, so the cauldron feeds the war with more zombie-like warriors, but that great battle is, of course, incredibly destructive for the Brythonic, the the early British, for Bende Gaidran's host, and for the Irish. All of the Irish die, save five women. Yeah, to repopulate the island. All of the Welsh die, save the seven companions that bring Bendigadran's head back to Britain. So the cauldron, in that sense, has been misused. Its magic power has been abused by the mortals to their own detriment. Yeah, Tragedy only arises from meddling with the treasures of the other world. This is, of course, exactly what happens with... The, the different spears in Irish tradition, uh, and with the lance, or the great bleeding spear that we find in the story of Peredur and Percival. So in that sense, it's very much in keeping with the Celtic tradition, a supernatural item, a weapon in this instance, that causes an imbalance in the cosmic order, that causes things to go wrong, uh, whenever it comes into contact with human society, it appears to undermine it in some way, which, of course, is a very potent lesson in abusing powers greater than ourselves, Yeah, in our inability as mortals to have the wisdom and the ability and, if you like, the grace to use magical items or supernatural weapons. It's as if it reveals our inadequacy in many ways, which is a very interesting theme in Celtic mythology. And of course, it is a theme that's carried through into Peretir uh, and into the three romances uh, in general. This notion of inadequacy, of knights being almost up to the task, but there is something missing. And what's missing for all of the main characters, all of these knights in the three romances, in Owain and Geraint and Peredir, uh, is wisdom, is the ability to, to see themselves and to act accordingly to improve themselves. Now, that's interesting because in many ways, these characters are all perfect soldiers, they are perfect fighters. They all have supernatural strength. They all have the ability to vanquish their foes and to save kingdoms and to, you know, uh, to destroy whole armies so long as they can fight them all one by one. So they are perfect weapons in many ways, but what they lack is the additional wisdom to put that great power to good use, to be of best service. And the stories are really about the development of that wisdom, of that ability to serve well. Yeah? The ability to bear arms is not enough, essentially, uh, is the major theme, I would say, of the three romances. And it's interesting that the lance, that the spear, is brought into that context because it suggests the same failing. It suggests the same mortal weakness the inability to use martial power well yeah so we have this great enchanted spear which is always dribbling blood the irish version uh, is totally bloodthirsty uh, and needs to be tamed or it will go berserk and kill everybody. We have magic cauldrons in the Welsh tradition that are misused by the mortals to the extent where they they feed a war which is utterly destructive to Ireland and to the Welsh court. So we can see that it's again this lack, this lack of wisdom, this inability to think through the consequences of our actions which is evoked in this mythology of uh, enchanted weapons and magical items from the other world. It really is the lesson of humility in many ways to, uh, to see ourselves where we are and where we're at and to understand what we are capable of and not to overreach ourselves. That's kind of the moral of the, the tale uh, in many of these stories. Just to finish off on the three romances as a set of stories, I've never really enjoyed the three romances that much. I enjoy studying them in terms of their mythological lineage, in terms of drawing out those strands that have been uh, brought into the stories from the broader tradition. But fundamentally, they are... Poor cousins to stories such as the Four Branches of the Mabinogi and and even Kilhendallwen, in that they are attempting to evoke a similar sense of myth. They're attempting to evoke a similar uh, symbolic potency, but it's as if the storytellers have not necessarily forgotten how to do that but they're trying to do that by attuning themselves to a continental tradition. And I would say that the stories of Gétin de Troyes uh, and those that, that followed him are actually they're quite weak in terms of myth, they're quite weak in terms of theme. They're well constructed, they are skillfully written, but they are lacking that depth that we find in the four branches – And I would say that the Welsh storytellers, by trying to emulate the continental tradition, really weakened the traditional body of law that they'd inherited. And as I've been discussing throughout this series on the three romances, the really interesting moments in in the three romances are when the Welsh storytellers kind of renovate or bring back to life those older Celtic mythic elements in the story.